Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? Welcome to the Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton. Each week I talk to people from across the sporting landscape to reflect on their career, be it past or present, discuss the struggles and the successes and the issues surrounding mental health and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest tonight, the newly appointed head coach for the Perth Wildcats in the NBL. Now, he's tasked with taking one of the most revered teams in the league back into winning form. He brings to his coaching role a wealth of experience, which includes four years playing college basketball in the US of A and 16, yeah, 16 seasons in the NBL. It's my pleasure to welcome John Rilly to the Conversations That Could. How are you, Diamond? Very, very well, thank you, John. And uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk to us this evening. Now, you were appointed five weeks ago the uh, as the head, the man to guide the Wildcats back into, as we just said, uh, they've missed, they've been in 35 years in a row and they missed the playoffs for the first time in 35 years. You're tasked with guiding them back into the promised land. They don't take to um, failure all that well in, in the West, do they? <laughs> uh, no, but look, uh, to have this as an opportunity to, to lead this franchise, uh, I've made comment uh, quite a bit in the media. Like, I like expectation. Uh, being involved in, in, in a franchise that wants to be at the top, uh, that, that's about who I am and I'm, I'm going to enjoy and embrace it and uh, it's never going to be perfect. So we're going to delve into the mindset and, and the pressures that are involved at the absolute extreme level, that fine margin at the top of the tree and what is expected of you and all the pressures put upon you, how you deal with it, how you've seen it dealt with. But we'll just go through a little bit of the background first, can we? And, and you can talk to us about some of the experiences that you've had along the way and a little bit of your personal background, your your, your wife and your kids who were West, uh, sorry, um, American born, I believe that. Yes. They yeah, used- my wife was uh, all three kids born in Australia during right. my playing days. Oh, fantastic. So that means they're eligible for Australia in, Correct. in, in upcoming season, upcoming years. And you coached, you were the assistant coach, was it at the Olympics last year when the boys did really, really well to get a medal? Yes, yep. Uh, fortunate enough to be a part of that and the first ever senior men's team to uh, capture a medal at a major sporting event. So if I can just ask you to start on that. The guys who play NBA, Paddy and the likes, 
and then they play with the Australian guys who've come up through the ranks and still play here. How do they? Oh, I know they'll be great with each other in the show, but is there a, a mini hierarchy within that team? Surely they get together very, very well and, and they uh, cohabitate the court uh, seamlessly. But is there that unwritten hierarchy? Oh, look, like any sporting team, no matter where uh, those guys are playing, once they come together, there's there's always some type of pecking order or hierarchy. Uh, now, with that team, uh, like Matt Delavadova, uh, Patty, Joe Ingalls, and Aaron Baines had spent so much of their childhood, let alone their adult life, together. So that kind of formed our leadership group. Uh, and then everyone else just fell into that. Uh, but, you know, it's been much publicized, uh, our team culture, and just the dynamic was, uh, you know, at, at a premium, a high level. Now, you spent so many years. I mean, uh, how do you say it? Go- What's the name of the college you went to, which is a huge basketball college? <laughs> Gonzaga. How do you say it? Gonzaga. Gonzaga. I keep going to say Gonzaga. Uh, well, anyway. Um, now, you were part of the era that came through. It was always strong-ish in basketball, wasn't it? But the culture now, it is one of the powerhouses of basketball college uh, mm. system, isn't it? Yeah, look, uh, one of one of the top probably five programs in the country right now. Uh, when I, my last year there in '95, I was fortunate enough to be part of the first team to ever go to the NCAA tournament, which is like the uh, you know the championship of college basketball. Uh, fortunate enough to actually be a teammate of a former Perth Wildcat, Paul Rogers. So uh, to, to be like at the foundation level of and to see where it's progressed to today, it, it just uh, I, like for me, I reflect on that and go, look, you got to build a foundation. There's a lot of things that come before the success and you can never forget that. Besides the population base, is their feeding system, is that light years ahead of ours? Uh, n- no. Uh, what, what I would say, and I can confidently say this, like the, the U.S., when you're talking basketball, the athleticism and the intensity of what that is, what happens in that forum, no one in the world matches that. Yeah. Now, when you want to talk about development and setups to produce good players, I think the international scene is ahead of the U.S. on that. But the U.S., just it's just purely a, a, a population and a lottery, I guess you could say. Tell us about the, the difference in, before we move forward, tell us about the differences in the mindset, the, 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 the programs. I mean, you've played professionally in Europe. You've clearly played for many, many years here in Australia. You've played in the college system. You've coached in the college system. Is there a difference in the mindset, in, in the DNA of these different locations around the world, given that they are all playing the one sport? Yeah, the, the, the one thing about the US is kids grow up dreaming of college, NBA, you know, and, and right now uh, quite a number of them are told how good they are and social media helps drive that and the branding and all of that type of stuff where uh is is that prevalent in europe and australia for sure um but i think the the mindset and the approach to it is certainly a little different uh aussies aren't afraid to you know peg or knock down a guy every now and then if he feels like he's getting a bit ahead of himself 
Um, so I do think that uh, brings a different look to it where, uh, you know, the U.S. and I was in that system for 12 years. Like, it's amazing how people just live on social media and believe something that can be put out versus what's reality. You, you, well, the things I know that come from Toowoomba are the races and the odd, the odd rugby league, the Toowoomba races and the odd rugby league player. You hail from Toowoomba. To get as high as you have in the field of basketball, are you to? I don't know. Are you Toowoomba's only international export in the basketballing world? Uh, well, look, John Dorge, who played in Melbourne for a long time, yeah. he, he was from outside Kane Killenbun, the chicken farmer. Um, but yeah, like basketball, not not world known for its athletes, but for for sure rugby league. You know, Thurston and Price and names like that. Yeah. So tell us, you're you're six foot five in the old. What's that? About one hundred ninety six centimeters in the new. And yep. it had you listed at eighty four kilos. Yeah. Playing yep. that. That's look look. Eighty four is not a small man, but at six foot five, <laughs> that's fairly light. I would imagine. How did that? How did you go early days? Did they try and stick a bit of meat on you in the in the college system? Yeah, oh, absolutely. But pound for pound, I could hold my own. You know, I did, was a good fighter in my own weight division. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. So when we when we try and really identify somebody's skill set. I love to put the blame on someone else. Uh, Andrew Gay said, you weren't the world's best athlete, but by God, you had attitude. Is that correct? Pretty spot on. (laughs) And how did that attitude manifest itself? Uh, I I think just confidence from your work ethic and and, uh, believing in what you've been doing. Uh, you know, as, as you talk about what happens, like for myself, I was around uh, my family. My parents were very hardworking. Uh, now, my dad was, he had to use his hands, his, you know, his, uh, a plumber, fitter and turner, all of that kind of stuff. Um, he wanted to show me the work ethic, but he didn't want me to go down the path he went down. So yeah. uh, opening doors in the sporting world and all of that kind of stuff. So. Uh, you know, your work ethic and who you learn that from and them giving you confidence to pursue your dreams and your goals, you know, like, uh, and as you well know, if you don't have that confidence, uh, uh, it's it's tough to make it when you're at the elite level. The, the, the catch cry word, and this is probably going to take me off for about two or three minutes into a tangent, I didn't really think I was going to go, but the environment when a young sports person is learning about the world, you know, from seven, eight, nine, ten years of age through to adolescence, through to teenagehood, where you're on the verge of being an adult, seeing that parent go to work, Lee getting up at 5 a.m. every morning, every day of the week, and then well, five or six days a week, and returning home at dark each night, it, it's a... It's a role model that actually tells you that hard work wins. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I remember I was 9, 10, 11 years old when my dad was a bricklayer and I would go and mix cement and carry bricks for him when I was that young. But his life lesson was like, you can do this or you can go and put some work into something you love to do and reward will come. And look, my parents gave me the confidence because they supported me in what I wanted to do. 
So I, I'm I'm hearing now all this what I'm visualising in my mind, and I remember remember seeing you play and. And uh, I'm old enough. Uh, you're even younger <laughs> than me. Um, and and now, it's, take this the right way. I saw a bloke who was loved the showbiz style of playing, but he almost loved the showbiz style of the assist more than the ultimate glory of of the big dunk or whatever. I know you were a wonderful shooter as well. Gazy told me that too. He told me yeah, to tell you yeah. that. But it it almost said to me, you love the showbiz style. But the hard work into being one of those elite, capable, assist-type players, that says hard work. I love the I love the lights, but I want to get the job done. Yeah, and I think as, as you mature, I certainly wasn't like that in my first year as a pro. Um, but as you put the work in, the confidence, uh, and, and, you know, the dynamic of a crowd, I think once you understand that and how you can turn that into a favorable thing for yourself and for your team, that that's when you have that combination. Uh, you know, I didn't have to pull my socks up when I was lining up for goal or anything, but I felt pretty good about what I was doing out there. So we hear that Don Bradman, you know, he knocked the golf ball against the uh, the, the the outside concrete block with yep. a stump for hours and hours. You rarely missed. You're an elite shooter. What did you do before you got to that top level? What did you do that that made you, under pressure, rarely miss? Oh, man. Uh, I tell a story where at primary school, I went to a football, like a rugby league school. We didn't even have a basketball hoop, so I shot it on the netball hoop. So you could only imagine what kind of verbiage I was throwing at lunchtime being the guy shooting on the netball hoop while they're playing footy, you know. So uh, that, that's where I bought uh, or bought into the mental application of it all. And and did that eventuate that you, you love just going for the ring? You didn't want the backboard? Correct, correct. And, uh, you know, look, I'm sure that helped with that mental or the thought process behind it all, um, you know, and uh, I just found a way to make it work. Like I, I enjoyed the game. I play wherever. So, hey, shooting on a netball hoop didn't sound like a bad idea. It's a weird little thing that, that those things in, in your life coming up, isn't it? So the netball hoop means that you loved what the terminology, nothing but net. Yeah. In, in my junior footy club, we used to get – all the, the, the breeze used to come from down Bass Strait. So you get southwesterlies mostly. And uh-huh. the and the clubhouse was right next to the right-hand forward pocket. So the ball would bend left to right, the opposite for right footers. And I ended, you know, you're always training, you're having shots before and after training from that little pocket where you've just come out. So I'd probably spent 90% of my goal-kicking time as a junior bending the ball left to right. So I felt more comfortable on the reverse side than I did on that, which is similar to you getting your skill set, not seeing a backboard while you were learning all these skills and, and relentlessly just dropping them. Yep. Oh, no, and it is. You, you don't realize it at the time, but all those little things are adding to what's your ultimate success, you know, and it, it, you're true. And you, it's amazing when you reflect the things you'd have no idea about at the time. So tell us about the college system. I imagine when you were over there doing your coaching, uh, your coaching, of what, they don't have assistant coach title. That You have senior, uh, what is it? How do they title it? A, Senior assistant, vice president coaching roles. <laughs> what do they Associate call them, John? Coach, yeah. 
Associate head coach. Associate head coach. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, and and we see all that that shtick that a lot of the college kids go on with. I imagine you would have met some healthy egos walking through the door, looking to cut it for a game. Some 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 people from the underprivileged, the the the, the down cast. You'd have had so many different personalities to deal with. Try and learn and try and glean their personalities and ultimately get the best out of. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, but like, I think that's what coaching is. Obviously, you've got to be a really good tactician on the court, but you need to be a great people person and a manager to get the best out of those guys. Um, so even here in Perth, I've spent a lot of time trying to understand guys as individuals and people and what makes them tick. Um, because as we move to the basketball you have to paint a believable picture. You have to paint a little bit of hope that they can get to where they want to in their life. Um, but if you don't know what really makes them tick, it's going to be hard to motivate them and get them to where they are. So uh, college is, is a great way or was a great way for me to get a good background and understanding how to deal with a lot of different personalities and just backgrounds in general. Because I got the same on the team here with Perth. Yeah, I... I... I'd be fascinated to learn a little bit more about that after the break, the study of people. And if you are able to take in the information about others, decipher it, and then relay it back to them in a way that can get the best out of them. Can we do that on the other side of the break? Let's do it. I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest tonight is John Rilly. This is the Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. More with the Perth Wildcats head coach, John Rilly, in just a moment. The Conversations That Could, with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to The Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest tonight, former NBL champ and newly appointed head coach of the Perth Wildcats. So, John, have you got any anecdotes of, of the types of kids who came through the doors in the college system in America and what you had to deal with in terms of the vast scope of their backgrounds, where they came from and, and how you had to deal with those personalities? Yeah, look, uh, I guess the easiest track to go down there is is when you have an elite skill set for your age, you can sometimes cut corners, um, whether like in the States, the academic piece has a lot to do with them being able to play sport. You've got to keep a particular grade level. So if you're good enough, you're the best player on your high school team, uh, you know, there's a, there's some magic pencils going around every now and then. Um, so then when they come to you, you getting to understand that, but like that can't be a behavior that's going to get you through life because at some stage you're not going to get to play. You're not going to life's just not going to go the way you think it is. So them understanding and taking a pride in their own performance. And I'm just a believer if you're performing well in life, whether that's being a good student, parent, whatever, it's amazing how then that just carries over onto the court. Uh, and then the success from that. So getting them to understand that. But you're dealing with kids 17 to 22. And if we rewind ourselves to that age, it wasn't perfect. So 
you talk about our parents earlier on, but also finding a mentor or someone else in your life that has a true belief and can help you smooth out those warts as you go through it. Um, and, and look, you can't you can't make perfection out of everything, but you need to give uh, opportunity and chances because you've obviously seen something in them if they they're on your roster. So most of those kids that do come through the the door, as you say, they've been they've been colouring in life with the beautiful set of pencils to that moment in time. And let's be honest, ninety nine point nine percent of them are the best kid on the block, aren't they? And they yep. and they've yep. been the the apex predator in their own domain. And then they get to the college system. They're no longer top kid on the block because somebody else will knock them over at training or will knock them over, beat them in some of the skill facets. Yep. Are there many of those guys who wilt and are, are there some who are challenged by it? Oh, look, you're always going to have everything that you just mentioned. Some kids is going to be a, a life changer as far as reality. And then they have to kind of reevaluate, recalibrate their direction. Uh, or the the good ones that deal with that, they find the work ethic that is necessary. You know, they just don't sack their bats and go home. They go, well, what do I need to do? And then as a coach or a mentor, that's where you really need to have the time and the game plan to help them. And at the end of the day, everyone wants success yesterday. But success may take two or three years. And do you have the application to get yourself to that point? It's easy for me to paint that picture because when I left to go to the U.S., I wasn't on any kind of national program radar or anything like that. But I just wanted to go and test myself in the U.S. because I had this mindset that the U.S. was the best in basketball. And if I can succeed over there, then the good things will happen. But that's where I come back. You need to know people and what makes them tick. One of the most amazing experiences I've had, I had the opportunity, very fortunately, to spend one full working week with the Green Bay Packers. And they basically gave us a half day with each person involved in their system. And although everyone was enlightening, one of the fascinations for me was the property steward. And I mean, there's so many weird little things about it, but how I stood behind his counter with him for all their gear. And he was whispering to me at his desk where the players get because they can't afford to dry clean outside because all the dry cleaners are accepting that they'll lose the contract, but they wanted to steal Brett Favre's jumper and they wanted to steal uh, yep. uh, yeah, Reggie's white um, jersey. And so, and then they just sell it on eBay for 20000 and they didn't care that they lost their job. So that was all done in-house. But he'd say to me, whispering, he'd say, what's the lad coming towards us? Uh-huh. And he'd walk up and he'd... He'd, even though his jersey was dirty, he just sweated in it and whatever, he'd, he'd roll it up and fold it and, and put it on the counter and say to the property steward, thank you very much. And this, he said, that's a kid from the projects and uh, he's never lost his, his thankfulness for the opportunities he's given. And then he pointed at another big fella up in the back and he, uh, what was his name? Uh, Tauscher, I think his name was. And he said, his dad is from here in uh, Wisconsin and they own hundreds of thousands of acres. He's never wanted for anything. Watch what he does. And he yep. took his Guernsey off 
and dropped it at his feet at the other end of the room and expected the property steward to go pick it up. The property steward eventually goes out there and picks it up. Yep. But he said, you've, he said, you learn when there's no need to give manners and when there is a need to give manners, he said, you learn about people's backgrounds. You would yep. have seen that as well in the, in the college system. I'd imagine there'd be a lot of the, what, if I can be say it politely, the under under uh, underclass, I suppose, in the basketball system that have really strived for that, you would have seen a lot of that sort of uh, traits come through. Yeah, look, and, and I actually don't think there's any really rhyme or reason uh, to, to what someone brings in, a, in their own behaviour. Like there's privileged kids uh, that are, are grateful because their parents have told them, like, you got to work hard for what you get. Uh, and then there's kids from underprivileged that, you know, they've had to be survivors for such long periods in their time that that they're in the survival mode. And what comes along with that, you, you know, you're not sure. Where I think uh, you know that you've done a good job with any of those guys is years later when you have still have a relationship and they're thanking you for helping them for little things in life, whether it's when they become a parent or you're on uh, your reference for a job interview and you can talk to their potential boss in a positive light about them. So uh, I don't think there's naturally a, a true uh, right or wrong with it, but part of your job as a coach or a mentor is to make sure people understand right or wrong and they can grow in life and it's going to be a great life lesson. You, you married an American girl? Yep. And was the plan always to bring her back to Australia and and bring up the family in Australia <laughs> or was was life malleable in the moment? Uh, there's obviously some malleability, but uh, when my playing career got done, I just felt like I would morph into coaching. Um, but I felt also if I wanted to coach at the NBL level, I probably needed to remove myself from that because I'd been a player in it for so long. Uh, and I think it's a tough transition when you go from playing to coaching immediately because to, to build the trust and the reputation, people still view you as a player too much. Um, so I went to the U.S. for 12 years uh, and now I come back to the NBL and there's maybe a handful of players left from my playing time. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm viewed as like the coach instead of like the guy that played and is now trying to be a coach. Yeah. They say that's an, an incredibly difficult transition to uh, jump from teammate one year, be appointed yep. as a coach the next and coach the blokes you were teammates with. I, I'd imagine that would be incredibly difficult. Not that you've done it, but but that sounds like you wanted to circumnavigate that to try and learn a little more. Oh, definitely. And I, I look, I've worked for two different guys in the U.S. who had totally two different ways of handling their staff and their rosters and so forth. So I've, I've got to look at it in different ways. I've been around Brian Gorgian. I played for some very good coaches in the NBL. So uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to take a little piece of different guys in a good and a bad way. Uh, as as I transfer my own thoughts and ideas into being a head coach, can, can I ask you not to drop the names? But what were the you know that you almost mentioned that the polar opposites, the two coaches in the US yeah. you were under? Uh, what was so dramatically different about them in their handling of people? Yeah, so Leon Rice at Boise State, uh, 
he he had just a great um, feeling of what a player needed where, uh, at the right time. He just had a great feel and understanding of who people were. He wanted people to to grow and develop with their own thoughts and mindset. Uh, so he put a lot of responsibility on his coaching staff, which for me as a new guy, I needed a little bit of direction because I was transferring from player to coach. And trust me, those that dynamic is miles apart, no matter how good of a brain you think you have for the sport, going from player to coach, it's, it's a huge gap. Um, so having the freedom to explore and discover myself as a coach, like it was great. Then I went to work for the ultimate micromanager, but he really taught me that I did need to tighten up, uh, you know, my approach. I still probably would have had more of a playing mindset. I go and work for him. I had to get a little more detailed, organized. Um, you know, in general, I'm not an organized guy, uh, you know, like spreadsheets and all those great things that seem to make you organized. I'm not that, but he really taught me to get my mindset in a place where I needed to be precise about what I wanted to do. Have you got the balance right now? Shit, I'll never have the balance right, but I'm trying to get there. (laughs) We'll talk about the balance and the Wildcats after the break. The conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back. My guest tonight is John Rilly, who played in the NBL for 16 seasons, including the Brisbane Bullets, the Adelaide 36ers, and the Townsville Crocs. You were up there for quite a while. He's also pulled on the green and gold and played for the Boomers, which took him to the 2004 Athletic. Athens Olympics. Now, you're in the West now. You've had the gig for five weeks. What are you seeing on the horizon? Because even though they didn't make the, the playoffs, they weren't far off. Yes. It, it, it's amazing, like the 35-year streak. But last year, they were 16 and 12. I was meeting with some of the corporate people last week, and I said, if your business operated, your worst year was 16 and 12 or the equivalent of 16 and 12, Still a pretty good year, you know. Absolutely. So as, as you're alluding to, like they weren't that far off the mark, um, you know. So uh, it, it's not as if we got to reinvent the wheel or we need to be rocket scientists. I just need to come in, tinker, and, you know, hopefully we should be all guns a-blazing. Now I'm going to ask a very naive question here. <laughs> Surely... There's only five blokes on the court. There can't be that many tactics. It's not exactly 18 like we have in AFL. There can't be that many tactics, can there? Uh, look, there, there is, uh, but you do need to have a strong uh, philosophy both on offense and defense, and, and the players have to believe in what you're preaching. Um, but, look, very successful offensive team last year with the Perth Wildcats, so... I don't need to be very tricky at that end of the floor. I think we can pay a little bit better attention to defense and rebounding, uh, and then we'll we'll be very good. So, uh, as I said, I, I mean, I actually played basketball as a kid to about under 12s and wasn't too bad. But the one thing, I, I love my sport, all sports, and I watch sport, and I remember when the Dream Team first came out here in the year 2000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what the one thing that struck me more than – Anything else, as much as they were capable of the showbiz basketball, when they popped in the two-pointer or the three-pointer, 
when it went into the hands of the opposition, I've never seen five blokes work harder to get to the other end of the court and defend. Yeah, yeah, and and look, that's that's the thing is you like in any sport, you got to respect every possession. Uh, and and look, the part of the coach's job is to find the the right mix, the right style of play for your guys, and and then believing how passionate you are about it, and going from there. And that's what we've been working on for the last couple of weeks. Now we touched on a second ago about the. The, the pressures that will be applied. And as I said, West Australia, they don't tolerate uh, losing very, very well. Are you prepared? You, emotionally, mentally? You, you know what I would say to that is COVID was a really good part of life for me to really reevaluate that. Like college athletics, you spend, like you are on the job 24-7, 365. I remember once I, it seemed like I was getting the job for the Perth Wildcats. The first thing my wife said to me is, you know what? The great thing about Australia is you're going to get six weeks holiday. In 12 years, I had very few holidays because you're just always on it. So what COVID and where I'm going with this, what COVID did is gave me some time to reevaluate. How can you be a good husband, good father, great coach, all of that type of stuff that makes up your life and what's really important like i've come out to perth i live in a great neighborhood uh i'm close to the water so what brings some clarity to my day is spending time just walking like yesterday i went for a great walk instead of saying you know what i need to be watching film the film's going to be there if you truly believe in your players having your mindset in a good spot is going to be more beneficial than saying i watched an extra game one of our all-time great coaches, Mick Malthouse, a f- fantastic coach, premiership coach. He coached yep. over in Perth. At the end of his coaching career, uh, somebody said to him in an interview once, or asked him a question, any regrets? And he said, no, no, no regrets. I loved it. It was hard work, but I loved it. Oh, hang on. I would have liked to have seen my children grow up. And I went, wow, yep. that is some sort of regret. How have you grappled with that type of thought that's like that is the question of all questions uh when you have own kids and you're passionate about what you do uh like as we're doing this my own daughter is playing her first game of volleyball for the season and it's not streamed so for me not to be there for that moment it's tough you know, but like the beauty of the internet has made that a little bit more accessible. I can watch. Um, so for me to be an engaged parent, there's ways that I can go about trying to be a part of that, although I'm so far away. But we get back to like, you figure out what's important. I've told my staff, um, you know, if there's something family related, I don't want you missing that. Uh, and if I hear that you're missing that, like that's, I'm actually going to have an issue because. I've lived that. It's disappointing to go, you know what, I've missed some milestones in my own kid's life. I don't need my staff to be doing that. On the flip side, uh, when when you do spend time with them, you really do maximise your time. Your players, the new gentleman you're acquainting yourself with still right now in Perth at the Wildcats, how are you finding them? Are they a mixed bunch? Are they all in the in the same boat? Are they similar characters? Are they vastly different characters? How are you finding them? Yeah, we have a, a, a good good uh, good mixture. 
Um, we've added a couple new guys. Uh, seven or eight of our guys have been together for at least one or several years. Um, so I actually like the character of our team. Uh, we have a good mixture of, uh, we've even got Corey Webster from New Zealand. We got some Americans, we got some vet Aussies, we got some young Aussies. Um, but the atmosphere at the club, uh, we provide them with a few meals every day. So they're, they, they spend time with each other socially versus sometimes it's easy for guys just to leave practice and never be around each other. So, uh, look, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty social person in the fact that I like to sit around, have a coffee and have a good yarn. I want my team to have that kind of personality because if you know each other and understand what's going on in their life a little bit when you're on the floor, I think that translates. Uh, I'm sure if you reflect you, the really fun and good teams you played on, there was a good synergy amongst the players when they were around each other. How many on the roster? Uh, so we have 11 contracted players, and then we'll have probably four to six young fellows uh, practicing with the team. And are you seeing their own little groups form that are in social circles? I'm, I'm trying to get a feel how you perceive them. And I'm going back to my old coach, Alan Jeans, a, a great, great man who used to have these little, not games, but uh, observations of who does what in certain moments? Who gravitates to others? Are you observant of those types of behaviours within your group? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the, that, <laughs> yeah, you for sure do. Um, now, we're, we're in the honeymoon phase still. So yep. everyone's, you know, pretending that they like each other, you know, with everything, which over time, that's, that's going to change a little bit. But um, we have our Australians are experienced. Um, and they're not in their stage of the career where they feel like they have to be threatened or they're trying to prove something. You know, it is truly about being successful and championships. So when the Americans or a new person joins our group, uh, like they've already reached out to them before they get here, they're communicating with them. Um, so then when they do get here, they, there is some kind of synergy with them. Um, and, and then once we get on the court, they can get after each other pretty good and feel comfortable about it. A total group of 15 or 16, is yep. it better? Is it an advantage, you know, for the mentality of the sport? Or, or is it you, there becomes you have to give so much time to each and every one of them? Uh, yeah, you'd like to spend equal amount of time with each guy, but that's just not reality. Um, you know, now that's where your assistant coaches come into it all uh, and you need them to have great rapport with the players. So then if there is uh, a, a red flag, we can get on top of that before it's too late. But on the flip side, like when a guy's do, feeling good about life and feeling good, like how can we just get a little bit more out of him? You know, I think it's always easy to address the red flag, but also making sure guys are moving forward when they are doing a great job. Tell me what a red flag looks like. Uh, like maybe maybe they're a family man and something's going on with a child that you have no idea about because they don't want to uh, open up and let you know that, you know, the family dynamic, there's something disruptive. So uh, that's where the assistant's understanding them and uh, having the rapport and relationships. So... Uh, you know, if they need to miss practice because, you know, that something is wrong with their child, they don't feel like they're letting the team down. And is it important that the rest of the team 
knows the situation or is it a respect that we trust that player is doing the right thing by himself and those around him and us? Yeah, look, I, I, I think if you have a, a good group and that's where understanding who each individual is, then the respect comes in. But if the respect level's there, more times than not, the person that is being affected is more than comfortable for his teammates to know what the situation is because they know they've been very helpful with them in that situation. You've been in, the, in this journey a fair while now and you've come from an era such as myself where somebody who failed emotionally, that was part of their makeup and we assumed that was like an inaccurate, you know, shooter's numbers or a, an, an inability to do whatever was required on the course. If they failed mentally, that's how it was viewed. The world and sport has shifted along now, hasn't it? And, and you've seen that change and been a part of it. Yep. How's it look to you? Yes. So uh, certainly the dynamic or the approach to it has certainly changed from the 90s. Um, when you're dealing with uh, like the younger personnel on your roster, I think you have to be prepared to open up and be vulnerable yourself. So they understand that every, everyone's trying to evolve and be a better person and all of that stuff. So uh, talk briefly on the, the COVID situation before is, you know, I, I did some work on myself as far as like being able to open up and understand like, for the youth and when I was in college it was great that you open up so these young members understand that you live life and you made some mistakes and everything wasn't perfect um, but then also uh, you know the dynamic of like a psychologist or you know professional people in that field like you know in our era you know the coach said oh I'm bringing in someone to help the team you just had this guard go straight up you know, because you're like, I don't need that. I'm tough. I can get through this. Life will carry on. Where I think now uh, the the help that is out there or the guidance um, is important. But then also it goes back to, and I'm later today I'm meeting with our, our team sports psychologist, is it, it's just not all about basketball. Sometimes them understanding life and how you can be use your time, time management, will just help with all those other things that lead into each other. So um, it's just not always about basketball. Uh, improving your life in other areas can really help you. Yeah, there, there was a change in sport, wasn't there, about 10 to 15 years ago where sporting fraternities decided we don't just get the best out of our, uh, our combatants sporting-wise, we have to turn them out at the end of their career better people. And things have rolled on since then. No, no doubt. Now, to I think the athlete, every, everyone involved, but the athletes um, certainly more mindful of each other. Uh, you know, no, not as much tongue-in-cheek comment or badgering with with your teammates. Uh, How would you go with that? Because Gazy reckons, as much as you had the big smile after you dropped one from outside the three-point zone, he said uh, the cameras didn't quite pick up how much of a an expert trash talker you were. How would you go these days? Oh, I'd still be trash talking, but I guess I'd have to be a little bit more mindful, less colourful in it, I guess. <laughs> he, said, he said that you were uh, one of the very best. 
Well, I'll take that as a compliment coming from him. <laughs> and tell us, I mean, I still play sport at a very low level uh, playing cricket, and we have this rule within our team. You can trash talk the opposition, but unless they smile as well, you're not doing it right. What's your... Oh, yeah, look, for sure. And, and, and like, the bravado and the confidence and the mind games is still a huge part of it. Um, and... I want my team to have that confidence about himself because if you don't have that, look, tell me any great team that doesn't have the cockiness or swagger about himself. Yeah. So before we let you go, uh, there'll be Perth Wildcat fans. There's, There's a few over here too. They just enjoy seeing the Perth Wildcats because they've been such an institution right from the get go. What can we expect from the Perth Wildcats under John Reilly? Yeah, look, uh, uh, you're gonna, your team's going to reflect your personality, so I, I do want to play with that confidence and swagger, but we're going to have an intensity about ourselves at the defensive end, and then we're going to play some free-flowing offense. Sounds good to me. Good luck, John. Thanks, Dermot. Thank you very, very much, and uh, let's hope your daughter's smashed a few into the other side of the court. Yeah, oh, shit, it was a tough night for him. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. I'm Dermot Brereton, and we'll be back next week when we'll kickstart another conversation with Dare and Are You OK? Thank you for listening. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A Dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? 